Welcome to Threat Informed Cyber Defense, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Cyber Ranges. In this series, we'll focus on the acceleration and validation of cyber capability and resilience by discussing the virtuous circle of threat intelligence and threat informed simulations to demonstrable measurable abilities centered on next generation cyber ranging technology. To learn more about our sponsor, Cyber Ranges, visit cyberranges.com. I'm your host, Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today is Dr. Al Graziano, CEO of Cyber Ranges, and Chris Nisley, General Manager of MITRE Attack Defender Program and MITRE Ingenuity. Al, Chris, welcome. So great to have you on this first episode together. This is going to be a lot of fun. Likewise, and pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. And so... We're here to talk about supply chain attacks. That's a super hot topic, of course, on everyone's radar with everything that's been happening. And so before we dive into that topic, I'd love for you each to tell us about the companies that you worked for respectively. And I guess, Chris, we can start with you and then Al, we can follow up with you after. Yeah, of course. I'm with the MITRE Corporation and most people know MITRE from our work operating federally funded research and development centers. So doing deep research and development for the federal government and coming out with great things like the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Specifically, I sit within the relatively new MITRE Ingenuity, which we created three years ago as a better way to partner with the private sector and industry and be able to expand the impact of all of that great work we were doing out to the private industry. Excellent. And Al, how about you? Do you want to tell us about Cyber Ranges? Yeah, sure. So Cyber Ranges is the next generation Cyber Range platform for the development and uh, assessment of cybersecurity skills and cyber resilience, organizational cyber resilience. Our platform is a platform that allows us to not only get cybersecurity professionals to develop their skills, but through our high fidelity simulation and threat simulation, we allow those cybersecurity professionals to validate those skills in a realistic environment and at the same time organizations to validate their and assess their cyber resilience by checking the response to a wide range of threats and cyber attacks. And Hillary, if I could Offer one more point. I think we hooked up with Al and the Cyber Ranges team because one of the big gaps that we saw was that sort of lack of of training and skills assessment in threat informed defense. So I lead a program at Ingenuity called MITRE Attack Defender uh, that we launched last year that seeks to give people, first of all, free training. So we have a whole set of free training around threat hunting, SOC assessment, cyber threat intelligence, and how you use attack to actually do those jobs better. And then we launched a a set of certifications where we practically assess the ability to do that job. And we needed a range provider to do some of that assessment and hooked up with the cyber ranges folks for that. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you both for sharing all of that with us. I think that's helpful context for our conversation, which is about supply chains, as I mentioned earlier. So as you both are very well aware, I'm sure supply chain attacks have increased dramatically in the last few years. And, um, you know, 
two questions to kick us off and whomever wants to take a stab first, please, you know, open. What are supply chain attacks exactly? And the second part, why do you think this has happened? Pretty good place to start. So who wants to go first, Chris or Al? Chris, do you want to take a stab at the first answer? Yeah, of course. So I think supply chain attacks are pretty straightforward at a top level. It's just a type of cyber attack that targets trusted third-party suppliers of services, and that could be software or hardware, any provider that you depend on for running your business. When you take a step down from that top level, we like to sort of break it down a little bit further and say that there are really two primary things. The adversary may exploit your supply chain, sort of like the solar winds attack, that kind of thing, or they may become your supply chain. So where insiders or trusted partners actually have motives that are ulterior to your own. So they're trying to accomplish a different goal than just servicing you as a customer. So really two different ways to look at that exploit or become. You know, I think the first step in understanding the supply chain risk is that in modern systems, there are just so many layers and each layer reduces your visibility and uh, sort of understanding control. And that's what makes this a hard problem. You might do a great job of asking some questions of your vendors, but do you know if they're doing that for their suppliers and their suppliers for their suppliers? There's all these layers of the onion that make up this risk. And that's why this is becoming such a challenge. Yeah. If I may add to what Chris has said is in our experience in doing simulations, and we run one specifically a couple of months ago for the entire financial sector of one of the countries in the Middle East, is that um, the approach and one of the problems that plagues organizations worldwide with regards to supply chain is the approach in managing the supply chain risks and limiting or sort of cornering the responsibilities for the supply chain to let's say the you know the the IT or the cybersecurity team and the problem lies in the fact that the supply chain needs to be managed as a risk the way we manage risks in the wider sense at organizational level and therefore it's about understanding you know what is the source of those risks what are the acceptable risks how do we manage the risks we need to start from the, the leadership of the organization, acknowledging that, and then providing the leadership, the resources, and the acceptable criteria for those risks. It's extremely serious, and many organizations understand sort of uh, what the supply chain risk is and what it can do to their organizations, but I feel that it still hasn't sunk in, in the sense that they may have not been victim yet, but it's the ticking bomb. As an example, we run an emulation of a supply chain attack similar to Log4j, and that is a very common and extremely dangerous risk that organizations worldwide are facing today, because a lot of the software and the application and the systems that, you know, the commercial system that we purchase as an organization are based on open source software, open source library or third-party libraries. And any of these can be a source of supply chain attack. And uh, when it occurs, then organizations struggle to understand 
if their system, their software, their providers have been affected because most of the commercial software that we buy doesn't come with a list of ingredients or a list of suppliers, libraries that, uh, you know, they use the same way that when you buy food, you can see the composition of the food you're buying. And that makes the management of the attack extremely difficult if you are not prepared. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really nice segue into our next question, which is to expand upon those additional threat vectors and risks. So, and you, you know, Al, you just mentioned Log4j. That's a really great example. But what are some other examples that you can share as far as the other risks that enterprises are facing within supply chain? Well, there are uh, quite a lot. So software vulnerabilities and sort of the use of third-party software is one of them. But when you look at other sort of areas uh, or source for supply chain, you have anything from uh, third-party data storage. So where organizations are now storing all the data to third-party providers, the large use of cloud providers for the provision of services. You have a wide range of third-party service providers. Therefore, you relying as an organization on the service provided by third parties through skilled personnel, consultants, and all those are very common. And there are many examples, even in the last year, where a supply chain attack has been carried out, either through a consultant, through a third-party service provider, or uh, you know data leakage through a third-party data storage. And some of these are not even malicious in the sense that you know the third service provider or the third party provider is not the one or they are not the one actually carrying out the attacks but they are the ones being exploited and taken advantage of to create a backdoor channel into the organization so typical examples you have a, a service provider that provides it support for example and they need to be connected remotely or have access to your organization if uh, I'm able to compromise one of the technicians or one of the consultants that come on site, I pretty much have a backdoor that walks right into the company and has access to all the critical assets, you know, servers, uh, workstations, and can really affect the company and impact severe damage. And the worst part is that since it's coming from a trusted party that is providing you a service, our guards are down and we don't tend to notice that until the data has been exfiltrated and siphoned out of the organization or on, until there is a clear outage of service or any other impact. And Chris, is there anything you'd want to add there? No, there's a lot. I think Al covered a lot of it, but there's all sorts of levels and things that we just don't even think about on a regular basis, you know, from tractors that harvest all of the wheat that we depend on to eat. Those tractors are increasingly connected to the internet and rely on software and chips to do their job. A simple attack on that can have drastic effects on the entire food production system. One that I like just as a maybe less drastic example, but really highlights this is the beginning of this year, a little JavaScript library, two JavaScript libraries, colors.js and faker.js. And they were open source products that this one guy was doing, doing great work, publishing into the, um, you know, it's open source for the community and gaining huge adoption. So 2,500 projects used Faker 
and more than uh, 19,000 used colors.js. It's 20,500 pieces of software that your organization could be using that depend on the goodwill of one guy. And even more than that, like Amazon, Facebook, Nomic Labs, they had all integrated these libraries into their frameworks. So if we're trying to manage risk, to Al's point, shouldn't we know about this guy that's got software in our key systems? But it went on that over the course of a few days, he sabotaged his own code, changed the permissions on his GitHub so no one else could push fixes to it, and continued to engage with the community saying he was working on a fix. I mean, that's just nuts that we don't know that this is part of our ecosystem. But here's the real kicker is he literally told everyone by posting on his GitHub that he was going to do something like this a year in advance. Just no one was really paying enough attention to do anything about it. So, you know, understanding that level, the the levels of that layers of the onion, however you want to phrase it, um, down to that level is important so that we don't get introduced risks like that into our systems. That's really fascinating. And no, I guess everyone wasn't paying it, you know, total and complete attention to his GitHub. So no one (laughs) realized that. We've mentioned a couple of different industries, you know, food, agriculture, logistics, but what sectors do you feel are most vulnerable to supply chain attacks? And that might be a a hard question to, to answer. And another part of that, how are companies dealing with the situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can really say that one sector is more vulnerable than another. I mean, certainly in some of the high-tech sectors, people are paying more attention to it as a problem and large organizations, right? Um, which you know introduces a big gap when you look at small to mid-sized organizations that generally don't even have a chief security officer or a risk management program at all. So I think that's where the big gap is right now. And you know, we look at how do we train people to start to fill that gap because we've kind of created a self-licking ice cream cone with that gap, right? It costs an enormous amount of money for an individual to get trained to move into those roles. And if their organization isn't paying for that training, then how do you get the skills? So, you know, we're trying to address that through the making the training available for free and teaching people about you know, threat informed defense and things like that. But I think it's a real challenge that the industry overall has to address of how we get people into those roles. Absolutely. And Al, and I don't know if you caught everything that Chris said, but if there was anything you wanted to add as far as sectors you feel are most vulnerable to supply chain attacks, and then in addition, you know, how companies are dealing with the situation, I I open that up to you. So as far as I... As I can see, I wouldn't distinguish between uh, specific sectors that are more vulnerable than others in terms of, you know, best practice. I think that across the industries, there is sort of a shared baseline of best practice or bad practice. I would focus more on the target rather than who is the most likely target for supply chain attacks. And it all boils down to two things. I would say the financial motivation and the geopolitical motivation, so war or state-sponsored type of uh, motivation. And obviously, if we think in these terms, then the most likely targets are more and more the financial institutions, 
And with my mind going to recent event, you know, the FTX scandal and bankruptcy and, you know, the blockchain technology and all the rest, you know, supply chain there is extremely likely, especially because of the code and the development of all the applications that support, you know, the decentralized financial systems and the cryptocurrency exchange and all the rest. So it's very likely that those are going to be target of attacks. So supply chain attacks, that's for sure. And then obviously the entire traditional centralized financial systems, so banks and the likes. And uh, when it comes down to state-sponsored, you know, geopolitical type of target, then you're talking about critical infrastructure, you're talking about telecoms, you're talking about, you know, airport, anything that is classed as critical infrastructure is a potential target for supply chain. And those, in my opinion, are the organizations that they need to step up the game in the management of the supply chain risks because they are the most likely targets, especially in 2023 and onwards. So speaking of, I mean, I guess, especially critical infrastructure, but everything that we've covered so far, what are your recommendations for, for companies and how do cyber ranges and MITRE attack defender, how do those help mitigate supply chain attacks? I think that that would be a really nice way to, to wrap up our conversation. We've hit on it uh, quite a few things already in this discussion. I think, you know, thinking in terms of risk is a great start. Obviously, the implementation of security controls, we're really kind of getting that under control generally. But when we move into that risk management, the identification of the entire supplier network and assessing the risk and selecting the proper controls at each layer is kind of the start. There's some good tools that are starting to emerge in the space that allow you to catalog that, sort of build that onion up so that you have the data to be able to do it. But I think that the other thing that we focus on and we're strong believers in at MITRE and, and Ingenuity is common frameworks for how you describe things. So that's essentially what the attack framework is, right? It's a common language for describing the goals that the bad guys have and then the things that they're going to do to reach those goals. And that allows you to communicate across your organization as well as across the industry so we don't have one vendor describing it one way and another vendor describing it a different way and it's really the same thing. So that foundation lets you work together. And then we move from there into how to better understand and operationalize the cyber threat intelligence that you get. So how do we teach that new generation of cyber defenders how to read a report that comes out of you know, all the great places that are producing cyber threat intelligence today, the US federal government, governments around the world, vendors, but how do you read that, extract the key information and analyze it in order to make defensive recommendations that are relevant to that risk management plan. And then I think the final piece that we would you know, really highlight is how do you prepare those cyber defenders by going beyond the book knowledge? It's great that you can come out of school with a computer science degree. I did that and didn't know a thing about cybersecurity from a computer science degree. Now, this was a little while ago, but it doesn't give you that hands-on, demonstrable, measurable ability that's immediately applicable in the workplace. So doing things like emulating adversaries or hunting threats or running purple teaming exercises, all using that framework. And that's where we focus right now. So we're trying to give people the really hands-on skills of doing these things 
in a practical environment like a practitioner and demonstrating that you've mastered it. So I think those are the, the key areas that we would say to focus on. Excellent. And Al, anything to add? From our perspective at Cyber Ranges, we kind of fit very well with the work that MITRE is doing because MITRE is doing great work recognized worldwide in understanding threats, understanding attacks, and preparing defenders to better respond and be prepared to a cyber attack. So what we do at Cyber Ranges, and specifically within the context of attacks like supply chain attacks, we really focus on developing and making available the high fidelity simulation that will help an organization understand if they are ready or how ready they are, how cyber resilient they are in responding to such an attack. The traditional approach of you know tabletop exercises, crisis simulation, they are great and very valid still today. The problem is that they are disconnected from the operations and from the people that actually respond to the cybersecurity attack. So what we like to do is to create simulations that engage at the same time, both the management of the organization who is tasked with managing a crisis and making important decisions, and also the operations team who starts you know, with the preparation, the triage, and the response to a security attack, and then see how those two teams and you know, those, those two roles work together to respond to the attack. And the complexity or the, the challenge there is to be able to exercise often. If I can uh, refer to a, a gym, uh, you know, we go to a gym or we exercise daily or weekly to be able to get into shape. We don't exercise once a year. The same thing to prepare and mature your organization, you can't do it once a year. You have to be able to do it often, once a month, or the frequency that a company can sustain. And what we really like to do and we specialize in is the ability to create such simulations and to be able to run them at the click of a button so that the execution of such simulations doesn't become sort of an event that you have to prepare for months and logistically and organizing it. It's something that you can say, you can dedicate half a day a month or anytime you want, and you can run such simulations and you can engage the entire team and you can get the pulse of where you are with regards to your cyber resilience. Yeah, Al, I think that's a really good point. We often think that we're so busy in our socks or our day-to-day -day operations dealing with these threats that we don't have to exercise because we're, we're doing it every day. But if you take the example from the U.S. Air Force, the pilots that we field as a nation are the best in the world because they do really hard training on a day-to-day -day basis. We found that the skills actually went down when they went to the first desert storm because they were just flying racetrack patterns, flying circles up above the desert. They were doing their job, but it wasn't really exercising those hard skills. So we're not going to face the hard threats every day, but we have to train and practice those outside of the day-to-day -day operations in order to hone those skills and make sure we're ready when we do need them. Yes, and Chris, if I may sort of elaborate very quickly on that. There is a big 
in my opinion, misunderstanding and in the industry today that with regards to validation of skills. For me, validation of skills is the, you know, imagine you want to learn a technology, you know, one of the SIM providers or EDR providers. You learn how to use that technology and you may have an assessment on the use of that technology or, you know, you may have an assessment on intrusion detection tools, techniques and all the rest. That's fine. What really matters is beyond that, can you apply those skills in an operational environment or, you know, in a real situation, in a high fidelity environment? And that's what companies are not doing today. They are sending their staff to get trained, to do online labs, maybe to take assessments. But at the end of the day, what really matters is all the skills that you gain, all the certifications, all the assessment that you passed, what do they mean when you actually have an attack and you have to deal with that attack? Because when you are responding, you are using multiple skills, multiple abilities, you are interacting with people, you are working with other people in your team, it's not just yourself. And that's really the truth that I'm seeking as a CISO. I want to know if my team can respond, not if they have the skills. You know, I assume that they have the skills and I'm going to make sure that they have. But the truth is, you know, can they actually respond? I think that's a really great point and a really great way to wrap up this episode together. And it's a very intimidating topic and, you know, it's a very real threat of supply chain attacks out there for, for CISOs and other security team leaders. So I think it makes a lot of sense how cyber ranges and MITRE Attack Defender are helping work together to help mitigate those attacks and help folks be ready when the attack happens that they can respond appropriately. So Al and Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm looking forward to the next episode that we do together. So just thank you both so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Threat Informed Cyber Defense is brought to you by Cyber Ranges. Cyber Ranges delivers world-class cybersecurity training and capability development exercises using next-generation technology and services for the design, delivery, and management of simulation-based deep-dive experiences in cybersecurity. To learn more about our sponsor, Cyber Ranges, visit cyberranges.com. And you can listen to all of our podcast episodes at cybercrime.radio.